according to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. Join me once again as we continue on here in Proverbs, Proverbs 21. We're uh, approaching the end of the chapter, actually, which is good. Uh, Verses 28, 29, 30, and 31, the final four verses there that... um, We'll bring chapter 21 to a close. I continue to keep in prayer over this class and the divine guidance and wisdom for what to do with this class. I know that uh, in the through the Bible year that we have coming up uh, that we're going to suspend this class, that this class won't happen uh, on the Wednesday morning hour. And uh, anyway, just praying for that and praying for wisdom and guidance. If we can get through chapter 25 by then, um, We'll see. That's kind of a good stopping point. But anyway, that's all in the Lord's hands as well. Try to stay faithful. When, uh, when He opens a door, try to go through it. So that's, uh, that's His good business. Proverbs 21. And, uh, and then we do have some things I want to tie together too from verses 24 through 27. So uh, let's just, uh, we did not have class last week with the, uh, with the snow and the ice and, and all of that. So Let's just uh, try to pick up where we were two weeks ago and uh, if we can grab that train of thought and uh, push that train down the track. Start with a word of prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for the privilege we have to assemble together this morning, live, face-to-face, for those with the faith to come. And then, uh, likewise, at home, for those with the faith to to not come. And Father, we just thank you for um, the truth of your word and the privilege that it is for us to humble ourselves under the authority of your truth. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so Proverbs 21 and... Um, we were talking about uh, scaling the city of the mighty, bringing down the stronghold in which they trust. That was in verse 22, seeing the marvelous parallel that we have there related to Second uh, Corinthians, for example, if I have the right slide here. Proverbs 21, 22 is the Old Testament predecessor to Second Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5. And I think we're much more familiar with that because it's New Testament instead of Proverbs, and it's a series that we've completed here not that long ago at Austin Bible Church. So we, we're accustomed to the, uh, the weapons of our warfare that are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses and taking every thought captive in obedience to Christ Jesus. Hopefully those are doctrines and those are principles that we're still, we haven't forgotten since we studied this in Second Corinthians. And uh, we recognize that we have the blessings of divine viewpoint. That we, uh, not only are we saved, but we're grounded in the Word of God. And that shapes our thinking so that we have divine viewpoint. So that we're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. So we're not slaves to this world and how the world thinks and how the world operates. That we can think how God thinks and how God operates. And uh, we have the issue there. So maybe we're surprised to find that uh, principle, that concept, uh, presented here in the book of Proverbs, we shouldn't be surprised. We've been seeing these principles uh, on a number of occasions throughout the book of Proverbs, throughout the Psalms, and a lot of the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. 
that uh, much of what we take for granted in the, in the New Testament for the church age, we find that, you know what, that was also a component of the Old Testament as well. And Old Testament believers had a perspective for that also. And so scaling a city of the mighty and bringing down the stronghold in which they trust is, uh, is very much an activity for Old Testament saints and New Testament saints alike. And uh, hopefully um, we'll see some more of that as we, as we proceed. Then uh, we talked about mouth control and uh, the, trying to get a handle on your tongue and the issues there. And I'm just as guilty as anybody. And sometimes, you know, what we also need is finger control because sometimes you can type too fast when uh, something makes you mad on Facebook or something. You get an email and then you got to jot a reply off real quick and you type it off and hit send. And you need finger control because it's much better if you just stop and slow down and pray and, uh, and, and show some grace in, uh, in some things that, uh, that happen there. So um, mouth control as it relates here. He who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from trouble. And this is the thing, when you do communicate, uh, when, when the words have gone forth, they've gone forth. And if they're hurtful words, then uh, you know, you, hopefully the, the person you just insulted will have enough grace to, to let it go and, and uh, deal with it like that. Give it to the Lord and let the Lord deal with uh, whatever the issues are that have to be dealt with. Then we get into proud, haughty scoffer. And these three names, it's really interesting, this insolent pride. This is where uh, you have a, a, a trio of names, proud, haughty, scoffer, are his names. One individual in view, but he's got these three names because one name isn't enough, right? It's like a trinity. It's like three, it's like uh, the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we're supposed to be making disciples and then baptizing them and teaching them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, we say, isn't that three names? What are we talking about? Well, yeah, it's three names, but there's one God with three. We understand Trinity as far as that goes. Well, this appears to be a bit of an anti-Trinity, if you will, uh, all related to the the uh, father of lies and the uh, the murderer from the beginning. That is our adversary, the devil, proud, haughty scoffer, and his brood of vipers that he births, that he influences, because this fallen world is is going after Satan and Satan's system. And they've been going after Satan's system since Eve first looked at that tree and saw that it was good for food and a delight to the eyes and desirable to make one wise. That she had fully bought in to the, to the threefold um, cosmic delusion of, uh, of this cosmos. That is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. And we got believers today that are doing the same thing. So they're serving proud, haughty scoffer just like they, well not just like, they used to serve him unquestioningly as, as unbelievers, but now they're serving him uh, pathetically as believers that don't know any better. As believers that are so conformed to the world they think that they're serving God when they're actually serving proud, haughty scoffer and uh, acting with insolent pride and uh, pursuing these things. This triply named haughty one has a damaged soul and uh, you know, has God for an adversary. He is the adversary. And until the fall of Satan, there was no adversary. It was just God and His sovereign reign and, and uh, the creatures, the volitional creatures that He created, we call them angels, but in the spirit dimension of, of uh, beings that He created. And as soon as uh, Satan decided that his plan was better and he voiced it first in his heart and then out loud, I will be like the Most High God. Now there's an adversary in the universe. And uh, this is this is, uh, I think, vital. If we lose sight of this, then we're uh, 
We're not on target in the angelic conflict. Anyway, the triply named haughty one has a damaged soul and uh, God is his adversary. And, and um, just to pick up on this, we've got to be on guard against this. I think Habakkuk chapter 2, okay, don't do that. Habakkuk chapter 2. There we go. Habakkuk chapter 2. I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart. So many of these uh, prayer metaphors are, uh, feature guard duty, feature armored believers that are standing on the wall, some kind of a, a, a high point of you know, vantage point, like a guard post or a rampart. I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. This is the eager believer that's in the Word of God daily, that's studying to show himself approved, and then he doesn't turn that off when Bible class is complete. He continues to be prayerful in between his, his intake, see. Uh, prayer is very much a part of, of the growth process as we, as, just as much as the academic part of Bible study in the local church. So are you stationed on the rampart? Are you keeping watch to see what he speaks to you and how you may reply when you are reproved? Then the Lord answered me and said, record the vision and inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. Since this is the attitude that Habakkuk has, he's now able to, um, to convey this and, and to have it recorded in the Bible, in the canon of Scripture. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it. For it will certainly come, it will not delay. And in this context, it's interesting because, of course, we're, we're the finite creatures. We're the human beings. Our, our life is like that. It's over in a, in, a, in a blink of an eye. And even if we live 80 years, 90 years, 100 years, what's that compared to eternity and compared to even compared to the fallen angels that we're dealing with? These uh, Satan and his, his horde that are, that are attacking us, they've been around for millennia. And we've been around for decades. And we think we're we're smarter than them or, or wiser than them or whatever. No, we are, we are just, we've got to be humble before our God and walk with Him in the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. That's what we're going to see here when we get to verses 28 through 31 of, uh, of Proverbs. Anyway, let me continue here with this principle from Habakkuk 2 because this is, uh, really, this is the essence of, of who our adversary is and it's the essence of who we become if we stop uh, walking in the light and we start walking according to Satan's fallen cosmos. So again, let me back up. Habakkuk is stationed on the guard post. Habakkuk is in prayer. Of course, he's, he's a student of the Word of God. That's a given. And uh, the, to, the, to the Torah he had available to him, to the, you know, his canon was much smaller than what we, what we have, obviously. But he had Torah, he had Psalms and Proverbs, he had um, the early prophets, certainly. Um, so he's, he has the scriptures that he can grow in, but now he's in prayer, processing the scriptures that he's learning and, and seeking what his application may be in his own ministry. So I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me, how I may re re reply when I am reproved. Is this our attitude when we're in Bible class? Do we come to class hoping to just know more or we come into class hoping that God will reprove us when we need it? That we, can, that we know how to reply, how to respond when the reproof comes. 
Then the Lord answered and said to me, record the vision and scribe it on tablets that the one who reads may run. <laughs> okay? You know? The, the, you, think about the guy who paints the, the bridge out sign, right? And it, that's a pretty important job. And what happens if he doesn't write the warning down on the sign and, and the sign doesn't get posted and, the, and when the bridge is out? That's kind of important. And Habakkuk has to paint the bridge out sign. He has to paint the rebuke. He has to paint the warning. For those that, uh, I mean, who pays attention to Habakkuk anyway? Any a minor prophet? Why? <laughs> you know, God is communicating these truths and we better be paying attention. So the one who reads it may run. The vision is yet for the appointed time. You know, a prophet like Habakkuk and he's writing of events and, and we get complacent because uh, the rapture hasn't happened yet and probably won't ever happen. And, uh, you know, you just get that jaded view that, well, it's taken forever. It's not ever going to happen. It hastens towards the goal. It's going faster than you realize. It will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it. It will certainly come. It will not delay. Behold, as for the proud one, this is what, we, this is what we're linking here. This is what connects with Proverbs 21, with proud, haughty, scoffer, the names that we have here. Behold, as for the proud one, Starting with Satan, but then everything else that's a, that's a brood of Satan would certainly apply as well. His soul is not right within him. You ever look at somebody and say, man, they're, they're, that guy's just not right. <laughs> right? His thinking's not right. His action's not right. His, what's he doing? What's wrong with this guy? Okay? You know, you, you just... Anyway, makes you wonder. Nobody in this flock, of course, I'm talking generically about people that don't attend Austin Bible Church. So I'm not talking about anybody here. But you, you know what I'm talking about. You've looked at somebody in the news or you've looked at somebody in a movie or somebody in the public and you're just like, you know, goodness. You know, you look at one of these homeless guys that's clearly demoniac and you know they're not, there's something not right inside them. They're possessed. They're not human. They're not normal. And this is the case with, uh, with Satanism, with the proud one. His soul is not right within him. He was perfectly wise, but he corrupted his wisdom. And that corruption continues. It just worsens. But the righteous will live by faith. See, now this is the marvelous thing because this verse gets quoted. It gets throughout the New Testament. You get Paul quoting it, Hebrews. You get all the other authors quoting it. I think Hebrews, James, the just will live by faith. Anyway, the, uh, the quotes here from Habakkuk 2.4, I'll have to look that up later. Don't I'm probably wrong. Send me an email, tell me I'm wrong. But I know Paul quotes it and somebody else quotes it in the New Testament. The just shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. That's not only how we get saved, but that's how we live after we're saved. We live by faith. It's a simple walk. We're walking with our Lord. We're walking with our Lord. Furthermore, wine betrays the haughty man so that he does not stay at home. He enlarges his appetites like Sheol, and he is like death, never satisfied. He also gathers to himself all nations and collects to himself all peoples. I really think that verses 4 and 5 are connected conceptually and, and doctrinally related to Habakkuk 4, and I think we need to keep that connection in place when we study humility versus pride, when we study the, the walk of righteousness, walking by faith, and the uh, the not, there's something wrong with this guy that's walking in, in satanic insanity. Anyway, this is um, 
the insolent pride that Proverbs is warning us about, the deepest pit for the viper's brood. And we have to guard against this. God is able to humble those who walk in pride, and that He does that constantly. The lessons from Job and the lessons from Daniel and, uh, and the issues there that we studied. All right. Well, then we get past that, and um, we have the sluggard and then the righteous in verses 25 and 26. The desire of the sluggard puts him to death, for his hands refuse to work. All day long he is craving, while the righteous gives and does not hold back. And the thing about the desires of the sluggard and um, the fact that it's, it's, it's all about him, what he's desiring, what he wants, what he wants to have, and, and yet his hands refuse to work. I've known some, uh, <laughs> a lot of these inmates that I used to have when, back in my jail days, they were, they were so busy not working that if they put half the effort into actually working that they put into not working, you know, because a lot of times not working takes a lot of effort. And uh, their life of crime requires a lot of effort. And a lot of the other, the links that they go to to not work, uh, wouldn't it just be simpler just to get a job and work and, and um, obey the law and not, not pursue this, uh, this life that you're pursuing? Anyway, remember work is part of the image of God. It's what the imager of God was created to do. God placed him in the garden to work, to cultivate the garden and to keep it. Work is not a consequence of the fall. The fall is what turned work into toil was what turned work into labor. And we get that, or I'm sorry, turned work into toil and then turned childbirth into labor. There was <laughs> judgment upon the woman and judgment upon the man in, uh, in the fall. And we're going to be seeing that here um, in Genesis. Doug? All right. Anyway, so this, uh, this is what we're looking at here related to verses 25 and 26. All right, then we get to verse 27, and we've already covered that. Verse 27 was dealt with when we had all of the, uh, of the wicked things. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he brings it with evil intent? And we covered verse 27 actually weeks ago. Some would say probably 100 years ago when we were up earlier in the chapter dealing with uh, the of the wicked phrases that we have here in this chapter. So now let's get to the end. Let's get to verses 28 through 31 and uh, show you how we're going to handle these um, just kind of boom, boom, boom as we're looking at the, uh, the end of the chapter. Chapter 21 closes with four verses detailing the pure simplicity of walking humbly with God. The pure simplicity of walking humbly with God. And this is what we're all called to do. So verse 28, a false witness will perish but the man who listens will speak forever. The words to truth or to the truth, the, the italic words that you have there in the New American Standard, they're not in the Hebrew. It's simply the listener, the listener. Or as Revelation might say, he who has an ear, let him hear. But the listener, the false witness will perish. But the listener, the man who listens will speak forever. A wicked man displays a bold face, but as for the upright, he makes his way sure. There is no wisdom and no understanding and no counsel against the Lord. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. So when you take these four verses, 
Proverbs 21, verses 28 through 31, I think you, you take these as a unit, a poetic unit and a, and a thematic unit, uh, just conceptually, as we, as we see the way this, this chapter is brought to a close. Um, I think these four verses are providing a, a, just a sweet outline for the simplicity of what it means to be walking humbly with our God. Four verses detailing the pure simplicity of walking humbly with our God. And isn't that what we're here for? You know, in, in the sense of, of um, trying to describe our existence to, uh, to the atheist or to the unbeliever that doesn't understand uh, what we're doing here and why, uh, who has all these preconceptions of what we're doing here because they've got this, um, this prejudice against religion or against religious people, or they've got this idea of because we're, we're churchy, you know, we're religious people, and we go to church, and, and so we just come here to make ourselves feel good about ourselves and to, uh, you know, convince ourselves that we're better than all those sinners out there, <laughs> okay? And that's not at all what we're doing. You know, and you know that, and I know that. We all know that because we're here. But what are we doing? And how do we describe this to those guys? How do we describe this to the outsider? And so much of what I think this class is going to start shaping is going to tie in real well with Colossians when we talk about how we conduct ourselves with wisdom towards outsiders so that our speech is seasoned with grace so that we can, um, you know, <laughs> we can try. And it's, it's hard yeah, but we want to have a testimony. We want to be able to explain to the, uh, to the unbelievers out there that uh, we don't just come to church and sit around and pat ourselves on the back for being good people and, uh, and wag our fingers at all those sinners that are out there. That's, uh, that's not what, what biblical Christianity is all about, right? And we know that, obviously, but they don't know that because they've got this concept of, of us and who we are and what we're doing here. So maybe these verses are going to be helpful for us whereby we can uh, kind of put a little outline together and, and talk some folks through it and, uh, and just simply let them know. No, we have a simple walk. It's the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. It's how 2 Corinthians 11.3 put it. It's just we're, we're walking with the Lord. And uh, we're sinners saved by grace. And, and uh, we, we simply want to walk with the, the Lord that saved us. And, uh, and, and, and let the unbeliever know you can too, Right? You're, uh, yeah, you're a sinner, but guess what? Jesus dealt with that on the cross. And you want to hear more about it? Let's, let's, let's get into it. We can talk about these things. Anyway, the idea of walking humbly with our God. As we look at these verses, let me just show you the, the idea, the false witness. Okay, If we're walking with the Lord, we're not going to be the false witness. If we're walking with the Lord, then that means we're conversing, we're hearing, He's teaching us, we're learning from Him, we're talking to Him. So we have consistent intake of a Bible doctrine. We have a um, consistent prayer life that, that goes with that consistent intake of Bible doctrine. And so as we hear, we speak. And so it's, it's just simply a blessing for us. And we can communicate with one another. We can communicate with this lost and dying world. And we're not, we're not telling them anything that we're making up ourselves. We're simply conveying, hey, let me tell you what, uh, we had a great Bible class this week. We had a great, there was a, a message from Genesis 3, and let me tell you about the serpent and the woman and the man. And, 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 and we're just excited to, to share the doctrines that we're learning, as opposed to the false witness, okay? The false witness speaks from himself. He speaks from his own nature. He's the liar and the father of lies. And the false witness is 
is, uh, this world is full of them, all right? And they're headed for destruction. They're headed for the apolumi perishing, the destruction that, uh, that John 3.16 says, you know, that's why God sent His only begotten Son. Whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So uh, anyway, we have the connection there with a the false witness that perishes. But the man who listens, the man who listens, what a great description. You know, this is why, too, I think I find it helpful if we delineate a, di- a difference between a believer and a disciple. If we talk about the difference between being saved and growing in the Word of God, walking in the light, right? Because it's he who listens. And when the Scripture says, he that has an ear, let him hear, that's telling believers to be disciples. That's telling people that, that can hear that to, to, to hear, We've got to be slow to speak, right? Quick to hear. These are the principles that we have. And they apply not only in this life, but eternally. You'll notice the man who listens will speak forever. Will speak forever. And um, I think this is, uh, this is another emphasis. I don't know that I've ever made it before. And I don't know that I've really fixated on it before or even processed it in my, in my own in my own mind until, until I got to this paragraph in this chapter. Thinking about the idea of not just living forever, but speaking forever. Testifying forever. Right? It's not just, it's not just eternal life, but it's eternal testimony. Eternal praise, eternal witnessing, eternal speaking. You know, if, if we're quick to hear and slow to speak in this life, that's That's wisdom. And why do I feel like I've got to say so much in this life anyway? I've got forever to tell you and to tell the whole universe how awesome my God is. So maybe I should spend this life learning how awesome my God is so that I can spend eternal life communicating how awesome my God is. But anyway, the, uh, the contrast here, you have perishing in the A part of the verse, then you have eternally speaking in the B part of the verse. Perishing versus eternally speaking. And that's, that grabs my attention. We're going to see more of it. In fact, once, once, your eyes, once my eyes were open to this, I started finding all kinds of verses about this. And I thought, wow, these have been hiding in my Bible for 52 years and I'm just now finding them. <laughs> How cool is that? Okay, well, okay. We'll say 48 years. I, I, I won't blame myself for the four years of an unbeliever before I got saved. But, you know, I was saved at the age of four and it's taken me 48 years to find some of these verses now. That it's not just about eternal life, but it's eternal um, speaking, communicating, praising. The Greek is laleo, and, and I'm, I keep trying to link laleo with life. Eternal life and eternal laleo, just to keep them both else. But the, 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 um, do we have an English word for speaking that starts with L? I, I don't know of one loquaciousness, eternal loquaciousness. Thank you. Ooh, 10 points for Ed this morning. <laughs> so, because notice it's, it's, it's perishing in the A part, right? The false witness will perish. And the false witness is, is a liar. Okay, there's another L. The liar, but the liar is only for this life. No lying in the next life. Because they're in the lake of fire and we're in glory without sin. Lies are only in this life. The false witness will perish. 
That's the A part. But then in the B part, it's not just we're going to live forever. We're going to be loquacious forever. <laughs> we're going to we're going to be singing praises, we're going to be testifying, we're going to be witnessing, we're going to be praising. We'll speak forever. So this is the simplicity of walking humbly with God, listening to God. Waking up this morning and saying, here I am, Lord. What do you want me to learn now? Teach me now. What do you got to tell me now? How are you going to rebuke me now? That's, that was Habakkuk's deal. I want to be listening so that when the rebuke comes, I know how to respond. So that's the listener. That's he who has an ear, walking humbly with our God. And then verse 29, a wicked man displays a bold face. We don't want to be there. We don't want to be doing that. We don't want to display, you know, the, uh, the stiff upper lip, the bold face, the confidence. The, uh, is, that, is, that, is that really up to us? Is our Christian walk simply a show whereby we just we display confidence and man, the world's going to look at us and they're going to go, look at that guy, he's got it all together. That's probably a wicked man displaying a bold face. What's the upright doing? What's the humble believer doing? The humble believer is just walking uh, as, as upright, making his way sure. And the reason why his way is sure is because he's walking by faith. It doesn't depend on him. He knows that when he's weak, then he's strong. He knows that, that he's walking humbly with his God. Anyway, the, uh, the contrast there, again, between the A part and the B part, I think obviously the unbeliever is, is there. But the carnal believer, this is the thing too, the carnal believer is in that A part of the verse, walking in wickedness just like the unbeliever and feeling like he's got to have this bold face. He's got to have the... Um, the, uh, the the face of bronze, or I forget what the exact idiom is there. Anyway, it's all about upright. What's the walk of the upright? How do I how how do I have that uprightness? Well, there's only one way to be made upright. That's by grace through faith. You have God's righteousness imputed to your account. It's a simple walk. It's a humble walk. And then verse thirty: There is no wisdom and no understanding and no counsel against the Lord. I put this on my Facebook wall yesterday because it's fun. The idea that go ahead and plan something against God, it's not going to work. You know, you're not wise enough, and Satan's not wise enough, and put all your put all your fallen wisdom together, and with teamwork, it still isn't wise enough. There's no counsel against God. There's no understanding or wisdom against God. The the simplicity and purity of walking with Christ means get on board His plan and program. It's as easy as that. Run with endurance the race that's set before you. Don't try to make up your own race. Walk the, 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 the race or run the race that, that He puts in front of you. It's, it's the simple walk, walking with the Lord. And then verse 31, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. Praise God. We're on the winning side. <laughs> you know? We're on the winning side. And uh, it's... Uh, we can kind of relax it where we definitely relax about trying to do it all ourselves and uh, just understand the battle is the Lord's and um, watch the victory that He chooses to provide. So anyway, when I look at the totality of these four verses and I see in the A part and the B part on each side that that there's um, 
there's the walk I could walk if I decide to depart from, from, uh, from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Or there's the walk He wants me to walk, which is walking humbly with my God. Okay? And, and maybe if I take these out of order, but Micah 6, 8, I think about this a lot. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. You talk about a theme verse, I mean, this is just kind of, and here it is, in another minor prophet, <laughs> okay? We should read these guys some more. But to walk humbly with your God, this is what he expects. So if you're walking in the light, if you're in the Word of God, if you have a consistent prayer life, if you're, if you're uh, a watchman on the wall, waiting to see how the Lord reproves you so that you can make the adjustments necessary and, and, and the corrective uh, steps that He would expect you to take, then, then you're walking humbly with your God. And uh, this is what it's about. 2 Corinthians 11.3 I'm afraid, this is Paul talking to the Corinthians, I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. You know, we think about um, Satan's uh, in, you know, lies and the, and the ways that he gets believers all tripped up. Sometimes he doesn't, he doesn't have to get them, you know, doesn't have to get any of us wrapped up into uh, blatant uh, apostasy or, or uh, immoral lifestyles or some kind of thing. We don't have to go all, you know, completely outrageously anti-Christian and whatever, just to have our minds led astray. Just to get us misdirected, to get us wrapped up in, in politics, for example, where we, we spend more time reading the newspaper instead of reading the Bible. And then our minds have been led astray. And, you know, we're not, we're not you know, the, the spectacular examples are spectacular. And, and you get guys that it just, and it's, it's heartbreaking. You get the, the, the guys that used to be noteworthy and famous for their ministries, and then they be, decide they're going to become atheists, and then they start writing books. And, and then, of course, the world promotes them. I mean, look at this guy. He used to be uh, an evangelical. He used to be a preacher. He used to, be, used to write all these books. You know, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, whatever else. But now he's an enemy of the cross of Christ. Now he's writing other kinds of books and there's all kinds of other things. Or a, a famous Christian singer decides now he's gay and whatever else. And all this stuff. And people that used to be preachers and now they're atheist uh, promoters. But see, it doesn't have to be that spectacular. It doesn't have to be that blatant. All it is is to have your mind led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. And just, um, you know, you get caught up in other things. You know, decide that uh, you're going <laughs> you're gonna, to you're gonna become a Division I Scrabble player instead of the Division Three Scrabble player. And yeah, that requires 200 hours a week of study and memorization and whatever and you I mean you could get there but at what cost at what price what price do you have to pay anyway you could just get distracted from what you what it is you're supposed to be doing like feeding a flock 
Now, these other verses I find interesting. Let's, let's go to Genesis. Um, if I wasn't teaching a Genesis class, maybe I wouldn't put all these verses in, um, in, in this, but we are teaching a Genesis class, so we're going to link them together. Um, to walk humbly with our God. That's what we're doing. We're on a Christian walk. The Christian way of life is a walk. And we're on this walk, and it so happens that our walk coincides because we're walking as a flock, Okay? We have individual walks, we have corporate walks. But there's so many places where walking gets featured in, uh, in Genesis, and I want to highlight those, starting with Genesis 3.8, after they sin, they have a problem because they're naked. That's right where we are too on Sunday. So she eats, she gives it to her husband, he eats. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they were naked the whole time. They were naked from the, the moment of creation. And, but now they have an awareness. They have a knowledge on the basis of defiance of God's will. It's not that they were ignorant. They, <laughs> they were aware of their nakedness, but it was without shame. Now they have a shameful knowledge. Anyway, they know that they're naked. So they sewed fig leaves together. They made for themselves loin coverings. You would think that's sufficient, right? Well, it's not sufficient, and they know it's not sufficient because when they hear the sound of the Lord God, they want to hide. But they hear the sound of the Lord God, and what's the sound of the Lord God doing? Walking. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And think, well, what's the big deal? Who cares? Well, connect it to all these other walkings that we have and then go back and say, this one probably means more than I give it credit for. Why does God walk anyway? If God's omnipresent, <laughs> if I was omnipresent, would I, would I walk? Would I drive Lydia? Would I, I mean, why, why travel from point A to point B if you can teleport? Or if you can just be wherever you want to be. Or if you're everywhere anyway, all the time anyway. You're already there. Omnipresence is a fun thing, right? I mean, we're not, we're, we're monopresent. So we have to, wherever we are is where we are. And if we want to be somewhere else, we travel. That's what we do, okay? Walking is a traveling activity, but it's also a fellowship activity. It's like eating. It's a fellowship activity. While you're eating, the people that you're eating with, you can converse, you can talk doctrine, you can pray together, you can fellowship. Same thing with walking or other traveling type motions, okay? When you're, when you're running a race with somebody, when you're walking with somebody, bicycling, well, not so much swimming, but you can communicate with those that, I guess you can swim with a, a swim buddy and communicate. The point is, these are activities that God doesn't have to do, but He chooses to do. And in the process of doing these, we learn. The peripatetic teaching ministries. When Paul trained Timothy, it was as they traveled, as they went. Timothy followed Paul around. And, it, and when Jesus trained His disciples, they were going from place to place. And every place they went, of course, there was ministry once they got there, but there was ministry in getting there. And in some respects, the ministry getting there is far more powerful because it's that's those are the people you're with constantly. The ministry once you're there, that 
that's different because you've got a different audience every place you go. Anyway, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This appears to be the appointed time. Can two men walk together without an appointment? The fact is that if you have a designated place at a designated time for a designated activity, then you are creating the consistency that's necessary for the, the, the plan of God for our edification. Right? Y'all came here on a Wednesday at 10 o'clock. You weren't here on Tuesday at 10 o'clock or Monday at 10 o'clock. Or maybe you were. I don't know. I wasn't here. Okay? But it just so happened that I was here on Wednesday at 10 o'clock. And you all showed up on Wednesday at 10 o'clock. And that place at that time for this purpose. The indication here in Genesis 3.8 is the cool of the day. This is when God always took His walks. The Lord was always, and however many days it was from creation to fall, we don't know. Did Adam and Eve walk with the Lord once, twice, ten times, thirty times? Did they have a whole month of walking with God before they became sinners? I tend to think not. My suspicion is the fall was very quick. But maybe they did. Maybe they walked with Him for a month or six months or a year. We don't know. I really don't think it was that long because she didn't get pregnant. She didn't have the baby until after they were sinners, the babies. Anyway, so they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. All right, so if he's walking by, then they can hide, and what's going to happen? Or what do they think is going to happen? Or what might happen? Okay, because if they're hiding among the trees of the garden, if they're hiding... And he's walking, that means they're stationary and he's moving and that means he can pass on by and they don't have to encounter him, they don't have to talk to him. Okay? If you can avoid the person, you don't have to talk to him, right? Isn't that the theory? (laughs) Okay. All these carnal methods for problem solving. Just avoid the person and don't talk about it. All right. How about Genesis chapter 5? Now I only put one verse there. I think there's a couple of verses in Genesis chapter 5. Yeah, if you back up earlier to verse 24. Verse 22 also mentions it. These are the Toledoth of Adam, the generations of Adam. And you get to Enoch. My favorite, the seventh generation from Adam. And the formula on this, we don't have to read the whole chapter, it's very redundant, but the formula on this, this is the Toledoth, the book of the Toledoth of Adam. In the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created the male and female, he blessed them, he named them man in the day when they were created. So male and female, but they're not named woman, they're named man. Collectively, this is the realm of Adamic humanity, We are the uh, accountable realm that is in Adam, not in Eve, named man on the day they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness according to his image. And I think if you're going to be studying the image and likeness of God, you've got to come here and study the likeness and image of Adam. 
and, and understand why does it get reversed and what's the tandem between the image and likeness of God and the likeness and image of Adam who is the, in the image and likeness of God. Anyway, like begets like and things replicate after their kind and humanity, Adamic humanity begets Adamic humanity. And this is what we have. And named him Seth. Named him appointed. Remember, Seth is the extra child. Seth is the last child. And you can kind of tease whichever child comes last. Um, <laughs> why, why'd your parents stop with you? <laughs> okay, They couldn't handle anymore. That was... Anyway. Um, but in this case, after Cain murdered Abel, I, my indication is he had other sons and daughters. There were other boys and girls. And all, it seems like maybe the, the begetting was done. But then Seth is the extra. He is the, the, uh, the bonus child, the one that comes along in replacement. Uh, it's not just the next one in the list, and he had 100 kids after this one. The name Seth, I think, is significant as the appointed heir, the one through whom the line of Christ, the seed of the woman promise, comes. Anyway, then the days of Adam after he became the father of Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. So you have years until you're a parent, and then you have years after you've become a parent. And you add those together, that's your total life. Okay? This is the description. And uh, usually the years before are shorter, and then the years after are longer, and that's normal. But anyway, this is what we have. This is the pattern. This gets repeated generation after generation after generation throughout chapter 5. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. Um, consequence of, of uh, the wages of sin is death and the emphasis upon life and death in this chapter is significant. There's all the living that's going on but then every living culminates with and he died 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 until we get to Enoch. Enoch doesn't die. So that grabs the attention. That's different, right? Seth lived 105 years and became the father of Enosh. Then Seth lived 807 years after he became the father of Enosh and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. Okay? So that's the pattern. He lived, became a father, he lived, then he died. And so we have this cycle. What this cycle is, the Toledoth of Adam, is that humanity has the privilege to portray the, the begetter and the begotten one. Then we're all begotten ones when we get started, and then we become a begetter when we beget a son in our likeness and in our image, according to this pattern. Or a daughter, okay? When we beget, then we're not just begotten, but we are now begetters. And we're handing it off to the next generation of begotten ones. Angels don't get to do this. Angels do not portray the begotten one and the, be and the begetter. They can't portray uh, uh, Proverbs chapter 8. We can, and we do. All right, so then Enish lived, became the father, lived, then he died. Kenan lived, became a father, lived, and then he died. Mahalel lived, became the father, lived, and then he died. Jared lived, became a father, lived, and then he died. Enoch. And by the way, these are all, I'm reading from the New American Standard, which means I'm reading all the 
uh, Masoretic Hebrew numbers. The New American Standard uh, is using the Masoretic Hebrew numbers, and they are different from the Septuagint Greek numbers. And so that's going to be a topic we'll get into when we get to Genesis chapter 5, because I prefer the Septuagint Greek numbers on this. All right, Enoch lived 65 years, became the father of. Then Enoch, notice, walked. Not lived, walked with God. 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah, and he had other sons and daughters. He walked with God. Now, are we going to read into this and, and talk about the six generations between Adam and, you know, were they not walking with God? But this is specifically stated that such was the maturity of Enoch and such was the friendship of uh, the, yeah, he was a friend of God, he, he walked with God. The, um, this is what we want. We want to walk humbly with our God. We want to be Enoch's rather than Jared's and Mahalalel's and any of these other names. We want to be Enoch's. So Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah and he had other sons and daughters. Yes, that Methuselah, okay? The famous Methuselah. So you have a famous father and a famous son. All right. He had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. But then that verse doesn't end with and he died. We're waiting for that and he died statement, but that and he died statement isn't made. Instead, we have an extra verse thrown in. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. He walked with God, and he was not. He was not. To go from being to non-being in an instant. He doesn't die. He's just not, because God took him. Okay? This happens to one Gentile in the Old Testament, one Jew in the Old Testament, where they depart this, this world without physical death. I think it's a foreshadowing of the rapture because the church is neither Jew nor Gentile, but the church gets raptured without dying. Anyway, this is the Gentile rapture of the Old Testament. Enoch. He walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Then, of course, Methuselah. There's manuscript questions on how long did Methuselah live. And the Greek has some corruptions, and then there's some other questions, and we've got other traditions. Anyway, there are manuscripts that have him outliving the flood. <laughs> That's a problem. And then uh, the Hebrew manuscript has him living and dying in the exact year of the flood. The rabbi tradition is that he died the very day of the flood, that his death was the signal to get in the ark and, and, uh, and go. Anyway, walking with God. We get to Noah, Genesis 6-9. These are the Toledoth of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. This is what we're called to do, to walk humbly with our God. What does the Lord require of you, O man? Behold, He has told you. A righteous man, blameless in his time, Noah walked with God. And this now takes the vocabulary for righteousness and blameless. What we're going to see in Proverbs is the vocabulary of the upright, Whereas uh, the wicked man displays a, a bold face, but as for the upright, he makes his way sure. Walking with God. This is how we can walk and be upright and make our way sure. Noah walked with God. 
And then finally, Genesis 17, 1, Abraham. When Abraham, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Walk before me. That's kind of idiomatic. But walk in my presence. Walk in my sight. Walk, we might even say walk with me. Um, but walk before me means we're, we're walking together in this. It's like Noah walked with God, but walk before me, meaning I'm going to have you in my view. I'm going to be watching you. Walk before me and be blameless. So as we break down these idioms, I, I expect we'll do some work with this. With What's the difference between walking with and walking before? In some respects, it's the same, but walking before is more intense because that means that God is looking right at you and, and you're His his covenant head in, in the sense of Abraham and the Abrahamic covenant. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you. I will multiply you exceedingly. So Abram fell on his face and God talked with him. This is the thing. When we're walking with God, he's, he's talking. We're listening. We want to be he with an ear and hearing. So Abram fell on his face and God talked with him. So we have these four verses detailing the pure simplicity of walking humbly with God. Next week we'll come back and we'll look at verse 28, 29, 30, and 31. We're going to handle each one in turn. We're going to see that listening and proclaiming the true witness leads to the eternal testimony. Leads to the eternal testimony. It's not just living forever. It's not just eternal life, but it's eternal loquaciousness. It's E-L- but we have to listen. If we never listen to the Word of God, you know, there can be an awful lot of non-disciples that are saved, they get to heaven, and they don't have a whole lot to talk about because they never learned a whole lot while they were here. And uh, <laughs> ignorance doesn't keep people from talking in this life, but uh, it'll certainly keep people from talking in the next one, I tell you. So we'll deal with that. Listening and proclaiming the true witness leads to the eternal testimony. All right, we'll pick up here next week, Lord willing and rapture pending. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your truth, the privilege and blessing that we have to walk humbly with you. Father, we want to be Enoch. We want to be Noah. We want to be Abraham. We want to be all three of those examples. We want to be um, the, the, the anti-example of Adam and Eve. When we hear you walking in the garden in the cool of the day, instead of hiding ourselves, we, we just want to we just want to jump right out there, buck naked and everything, Father. We just want to stand before you um, in, the, in the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. We want to stand before you and walk with you, Father. Uh, you're the one with whom we have to do. All things are open and laid bare, and we love that, Father. We're not trying to hide anything. And so uh, we're transparent before you, we walk with you, we listen to you, and we know that uh, that we're, we're positioned in such a way that we can hear when we are rebuked, that we can uh, take the corrective action that you summon us to take. And Father, we want to be uh, Enoch, walking with you and prepared to depart at a moment's notice. We want to be like Noah, blameless and upright in our generation, even if the whole world, if the whole world defies your will, we're going to be the Noahs of our generation, walking with you. 
And we want to be walking before you uh, as the Abrahams of our generation, Father. So all of these examples uh, are examples for us, and, and we're going to live these out as we study them, as we learn them, because we're walking with you. And then when we encounter the, uh, the unbeliever out there and our speech can be seasoned with grace as with salt, and uh, we don't, we're not trying to make up things or impress people with, with what we know, we're simply relaying what we've heard. What uh, the, uh, the, we with the ears have heard, what the Spirit has said to the churches, and we're repeating our witness, the faithful message that we've received, that uh, this lost and dying world has eternal life by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So Father, uh, I thank you for teaching us these classes. I thank you for Proverbs and Genesis and Colossians all weaving together in the, in the glorious way that your Holy Spirit can weave them. And I pray that as we're built up in the faith that we might we might be effective in uh, the things that we can communicate based on this. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.